your first time visiting with us, we're really glad you're here. If it's your first time hearing me, I'm also glad that you're here, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you in advance, this is not normal what is about to happen. You know, yesterday started out very normal. Had a 9 a.m. run planned. I had tried to text my buddy the night before and say, hey, it's really cold and it is really windy. Can we go to the gym instead? Well, he said, no, we got to go run. I said, fine. Well, at 7 a.m., my phone goes off. He's like, man, you're right. It's cold. It's windy. Let's go to the gym. I said, yeah, let's go to the gym. So I went to the gym, got there about 8 o'clock, went through normal workout. He was done. I said, you know what? I need to work out a little longer. I said, I just don't feel like I got enough in. So I spent another hour doing more workout. I'm finally stretching and I'm finishing up and my phone rings. And if you know me, you know that if my phone rings, nothing good comes from that. And it's my sister. And so I knew nothing good was going to come from that. Pick up the phone and she is bawling. They called an ambulance. They called an ambulance. Called an ambulance for what? For who? Mom, many of you know that my mother is very sick. Many of you know she was in the hospital last time I was down. It's just this constant up and down, up and down. And I had no idea what in the world was going on. None of us had any idea what was going on. We all know that we were just like Jesus says in Luke 17. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage until... The flood came and Noah shut the door on the ark. Everything was normal that day. It was a day of just regular partying. And there was a party yesterday. There were marriages yesterday. There were all of these things going on. And you were planning to be a part of it until this happened. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, When the days of Sodom, they were eating, they were drinking, They were buying, they were selling. It's almost like this was a work week. They were planting, they were building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and brimstone rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And I had no idea what in the world to do. So today, I want you to know a little something about me. You know, there are... I don't know if you have this way. You've probably heard me say this. I know I've said it privately, and I think I've probably said it up here as well. There are certain people in your life that you would like to be in their head for 24 hours. Like, you just look at them and you say, what is going on? Well, man, how did they come to that conclusion? And I have, like, a top ten list easy. (laughs) And... I don't know if you have such a list if I would be on that or not. But I'm going to let you in to my thoughts here over the last 24 hours as I've been trying to kind of process and deal with this as my mother is in the hospital now. literally got a text 20 seconds before I walked up, had a reaction to another treatment. That's just, that's just the way it goes. And I remembered something from Isaiah, the 50th chapter, that we discussed on Wednesday night in class when the servant is talking about what he is going to come and he is going to do. In Isaiah, the 50th chapter, the servant says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught 
that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. When the Lord's servant was going to come, he was going to be able to give words to people that might make them stand when they are tired. When they don't know what is happening, when they don't know what is going on, that's what the servant was for. That's what the words of God are for. And I hope that if you ever find yourself in a situation like this, that you'll go to Scripture. Because, you know, you never know what you're going to do when you get that phone call. Just like Aunt Eddie was saying. There was tragedy all day yesterday. If you've never received that call, or maybe you've received that call one too many times. So I know there's at least some of you that keep getting that call repeatedly. What do you do? And I think we turn to Scripture. I'm going to let you into really three main thoughts I had, three main questions. The first one I had, should I stay or should I go? I mean, there are a lot of you that understand that. So I started looking at flights, right? It takes five hours to get there. Last flight out would be like 6.35. Well, okay, I can do that. But do I need to go? If I drive, I, you know, I want to stay for a while, like, but it will take me 13 hours to drive. If I left right now, that means I would get in at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Do I have that in me? What do I do? Should I stay? Should I go? You mean, what do you do? And I'll tell you, that was the hardest part I had all day long. You find out in the gym. Cherry, let me take a shower. I'll call you back in five minutes. I didn't even get to get in the shower before the phone's ringing again. Got more information. And information is coming in. We all understand that. As news breaks, you start able to make some clear decisions and some clear judgments, but as the news is breaking, you're just caught up in the chaos and the clutter and the dust and all of those things. What do you do? And so finally, as I got back to my apartment, I'm looking at flights and I'm thinking about driving. I, I began to think about a passage in Philippians 1. I want you to turn to Philippians. I think it's a long flight home, five hours. Some of you have to go to other continents. And not the ones across the pond to where it takes five hours to get to. But 12, 13 hours worth of flying. And I think about what is the Apostle Paul's predicament in, in Philippians 1. He's in prison. And he wants to die. Because for him, dying means, verse. he gets to go be with the Lord, verse 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's stuck. If I live, I get to live for Christ, I get to do for Christ. If I live also, you know, it's going to be a benefit to you. But back in verse 20, my eager expectation and hope, is that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. All I know and all I expect is that in my life, Christ is going to be honored. And so he says down in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. But that's far better. You know how sometimes you just know what you want to do? There's no question about what it is you want to do. 
He knows what he wants to do. He wants to die. But verse 23, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. And that's exactly what Moffat said. You need to be that. And you think, man, how can you say something like that? I say, well, that's what she wants. Can't do anything about it down there. Come see me. Come, don't see me. I want to go, but you know, what do you do? What do you go? Do you not go? And so he says, verse 25, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. I know that you're needed more. You need me more than I need to go be with Christ right now. And that's just sometimes the mindset is that sometimes you have to do things that aren't exactly what you want to do because that actually is better. Because it's not better for you necessarily. It's better for somebody else. I know it would tear my mom up to know that I left to come do something when I could be up here doing what I'm supposed to do. It would tear her up. She would feel so bad about that. As much as she would want to see me, it would tear her up. And so I think about what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, as we discussed this Friday night in our men's class downstairs, and there was just a small group of us. And we were talking about, man, Timothy is getting the news that Paul is going to die soon. And we take it for granted because we have this letter and it is written to someone else. But this was written by his spiritual Father, by his father in the faith, and he writes him from a distance and says, I am dying. Come to me soon. And what do you do? You go soon. You do it. That's just what you do. But that's not what's really on Paul's mind. I want you to begin in verse 1. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus... Who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom? Preach the Word. You do your job. You preach the Word. Verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. We talked about that. That doesn't mean don't be drunk. Don't be drunk is the point. That's not His point here. His point is, you be clear in your thinking. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, you have a job to do. And if you are going to do that job, you've got to think clearly. And you've got to stick it out. You're going to have to endure a lot of different things. And some of those endurances is, guess what? He was separated from his mother and from his grandmother. At a very young age, he started following Paul and going on those missionary journeys. And seeing persecution happen to Paul in Derby, Iconium, Lystra, all those places, he knew about all of that. And I wonder what his mom and his grandmother were thinking as we talk about them so frequently, the ones that had taught him the Scriptures. I imagine they were worried. I imagine that all day long. But he says, you do your job. And that's just what I thought about. How much people have sacrificed for that. I think about Hannah of the Old Testament, who couldn't have a child. 
And she's begging, and she is begging, and she is praying, and she is praying, and finally she gets a child, but it comes at a, at a very high cost. She says, before she ever receives a child, before she ever conceives the child, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. And finally that child is given her. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, and verse 28, I have lent him to the Lord. From the time he was weaned, he's yours. And so she would make him a little coat every year and she would go visit. It's not my son. That's the Lord's. He's ministering. And how many times do we see he ministered to the people? He was proven to be a prophet. The Lord spoke through him when there wasn't much profiting going on in those days. By the way, she was given three sons, and two more daughters. All because she saw it in such a, such a way. And the truth is, that would be the way most of us as parents would think, my child is doing something that is bigger than me. And sometimes it's hard for the child to get that. And I want you to think about Jesus in Mark the third chapter. Because in Mark, the third chapter, Jesus is being called crazy. He's out of his mind, they are saying. He doesn't have time to eat. He doesn't have time to drink. Some say he's got a demon. Some say he's just flat out crazy. And I wonder if word got to mom and dad, or to mom especially, verse 21. His family heard, or those close to him heard, and they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. He went out to get him. But he didn't go. If you go down now to verse 31, his mothers and his brothers came, and they were standing outside, and they sent to him, and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Your family wants to see you, Jesus. And Jesus says, All right, I'll go out and I'll see you. He answered, Who are my mother and my brothers? And here it is. And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Like, man, that's tough to do. When you look, and I'm able to look at you like he did them. And say, you're my mother and you're my brothers. That's just all there is to it. You're my family. And she is too. But yet she gets it. She understands it. And I have to as well. That You know, there are greater things than me. When I talk about that, I say, you know what? That's exactly what she wanted me to do. She wanted me to stay. And I said, man, I sure don't want to be a John Mark in Acts 13. Where I'm helping out Paul and Barnabas, and we've gone through and we've seen some miracles. And then we get to Perga, or Paphos, and he left them and went back to Jerusalem. Again, the text does not tell us why he went back. There's no inclination why he went back. But I'll tell you how I've always read that. He wasn't ready to do it. He got overwhelmed too quickly. There was something that held him back and he had to go back. And he went back. 
But yet what we learn about John Mark later, again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, is that by the end of Paul's life, he says to Timothy, you bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. It's not time. It's not, I'm not going to give up. You know, there's, there's things to do. I got classes to teach. I got sermons to preach. I got people to see, places to go. And I tell you, if I'd have known it was her last days, I guarantee you I would have gone. But more information came out. And it seemed as though it was an allergic reaction to some of her medications. And when you start to hear things like that, you start to feel a little bit better about that. Now here's what I need to also tell you. She doesn't take medications very well at all. I wasn't really aware of this. I knew she was allergic to medications, but when I was there for Thanksgiving and was in the hospital, nurse came in the next day at her house, and Mom had printed off a sheet of paper. Two columns worth of medications that she cannot take. That's life. If it wasn't for that, you know, if she's got some infection she's not going to go over with, guess what? I'm on a plane and Michael was ready to cover me. But I know Michael's got health issues in his family. He lives that far away. I know many of you have health issues. And you've gone through that, and I just want you to know, you got family here. And the truth is, we have to be family to each other. And many of you have been. You ask me every time, how is she? Or you call me or you text me. You do all those things. And I really appreciate that. And that's why it makes making that recognition a lot easier and how it makes them able to say, yeah, he's not coming in. And that's just, again, grateful for that. But that was really tough to make that decision. But once that, I decided I was staying. It was smooth sailing. I was back to being like my father. My sisters were complaining that my father was too calm yesterday. And I thought, yeah, I've been the same way. Because once I figured out what I was doing, I'm calm, I'm cool, I'm collected. So I began to think, and here's the second thing I really thought about. How do people of the Bible handle bad news? Like you get news, you didn't expect it. Like you know your mother is sick. You know that, you know that one day you're probably going to get that call. You still don't expect it. You still don't want it. And so what do you do? And obviously I thought about Job. And I flipped to Job 1. A day of feasting, mind you, right? His children are all gathered in one house and they're eating and they're drinking. They're having their big feast. And a whirlwind, a tornado comes and takes them all down. And one person escapes the house to come and tell them. And that's on top of losing all of his possessions, pretty much. And he says the thing that I hope that I would be able to say if it had come to all of this. In verse 20, Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshipped. Now, I didn't shave my head yesterday. It was actually my schedule to shave my head. So I think I did probably the same reaction just, it's the opposite. You do something. Verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. 
The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not mad at you, God. It's life. It just is what it is. And I've got to come to grips with that. I've got to come to terms with that. Or like Eli, the one that Samuel ended up taking his spot. Eli's sons are terrible. They're sleeping with the women that come to offer sacrifices. They're taking extra food in the sacrifices. They're just wicked, wicked people. And word is told to Eli, hey, no one in your family is going to live to any age. And the ones that are left, they're going to be begging some other priest to let them in the priestly duties and just have some food. And that wasn't easy for him. But I want you to go and I want you to notice how the story progresses. And I think you probably covered this last week if you're in the Sunday morning class up here. That in chapter 3, finally the Lord speaks to Samuel, the one that had been lent to him at a very young age. And Eli knows that the Lord is speaking to Samuel because Samuel keeps going to Eli and saying, what is it that you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you. And finally, the third time, Eli was like, oh, that's the Lord calling you. And so the next morning comes and Eli wants to know, what did the Lord tell you, Samuel? And this is what the Lord told Samuel, verse 11. Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. When people hear what I'm about to do, it is going to hurt their ears. And on that day I'll fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned by sacrifice or so on. And then I got to thinking about it. Right? We haven't read his reaction yet. Who got the message? Samuel got the message about his, basically, father. And his brothers. And so verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. And I take that, he didn't sleep. He laid there until morning. And maybe you know that feeling a little bit. You just wait until the sun comes up so you can justify getting out of bed. But you didn't sleep. He lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I thought about my sister. She didn't want to pick up the phone and call me. You don't want to have to do that. You don't want to have to tell anyone bad news. And you sure don't want to get the bad news. But Eli said, man, tell me. Because if you don't tell me, it's going to be worse for you. So verse 20, Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Like, man, I hope that's me. That Lord, just do what you think is best. I'll come to grips with it. I'll come to terms with it. You do what you think is best. And I hope that's me. Or I thought about people like Nehemiah when he heard that his people's city had been destroyed, that the walls had fallen and there weren't many left. He sat down and he cried and he wept for hours and days. And then he did something about it. 
He had a role. He was the cupbearer. And he goes before the king. And before he goes before the king, immediately he prays. And his wish is requested. He's able to go back and help rebuild. But the truth is, man, he was shook to the core. Sat down, wept, prayed. Or I also thought about Mordecai and Esther in the book of Esther. Every Jew is going to be killed. And the word comes to Mordecai, and guess what he does? The same thing. He weeps. He mourns. He puts on his sackcloth in the place where they were supposed to be rejoicing so that everyone sees him. And I want you to turn to that one in Esther, the fourth chapter. Because, man, again, you talk about being clear-headed. Like, that's what Timothy was told to be. Be sober-minded. Mordecai's got this under control. Yeah, he's upset, and yeah, he is torn up about it, but his niece is the queen. His niece maybe can do something about this. And he said in verse 12, they told Mordecai what it said, and Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in all the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. When they find out you're a Jew, they won't care that you were queen. You're dead too. You're not exempt from this, Esther. Because 14, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews. Man, what confidence does Mordecai have? There will be deliverance. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now who knows why you're here right now? God knows. But man, do something about it. Get to work. Don't just sit there and mope around. None of these people moped. They all got right back up and they went through their life knowing that everything was going to be taken care of by the Lord. I think that's us. We get that. We're going to be in shock and we're going to hurt and we're going to cry. I've cried more in the last three weeks than I have in the last probably 30 years. And that's just the way it is. But you get up, you do it day in, day out. And then here's the part of the story that I didn't tell you yet. So, allergic reaction. They're getting ready to take her to the emergency room. And so she takes this medication that, again, she began to take, and it is by IV. And so she takes this medication, and she said basically instantaneously she couldn't breathe. And she said, Sam, you've got to call 911. Called 911. And so the call goes out, and my brother-in-law is a firefighter, also part of the volunteer fire department. Department. Some of my sister is part of the volunteer fire department as well. Call goes out, 62-year-old female on Barksdale Road, blah, 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 blah. They didn't even think. They knew who it was. They jump in the car. They were there within about seven minutes or so. They were right behind the very first responders. And they're going through, and my brother-in-law says she can't. She can't breathe. Can't breathe. Dad's got a fan blowing on her. She, she can't. And so they had given her some kind of little 
EpiPen device. That if she has some kind of reaction. So my brother-in-law is taking that little case out and he's going through it and it's a piece you've got to put together and there's all these instructions and they couldn't figure it out. And my sister remembered, I have an EpiPen in my car. So my sister went down into her car and got her own EpiPen out. Now here's what I know about EpiPens. This year, there has been a lot in the news about how expensive EpiPens are. It is worth every penny when you're dying and you can't breathe. My brother-in-law said, well, do we give it to her or do we not? He said, what happens if we don't? So he jammed in her leg. She began to calm down a little bit at that point. And the paramedics, when they got there, and the doctor said, she doesn't get the EpiPen, she's probably not alive. It's worth every penny. And there's at least a solution. And I thought immediately of the passage that Everton read for us that we've read so many times this year. Be holy as I am holy, because you are redeemed with imperishable things. Not of the futile ways of your forefathers, not of silver, not of gold. You can pay all the amount of gold, but that's not going to do it for you. But with that precious blood that had to be given, that had to be shed, and I said, man, I bet God is thinking it was worth every penny sending Him. Because all these people as that serpent that must be lifted up in John chapter 3 that were being bitten and they were dying from their disease, if they just looked up and believed in that serpent, they would be made well. I'm telling you, that brings it all to full circle to me because verse 16 follows that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Like, it was worth every penny. It pleased the will of the Lord to crush Him, Isaiah 53. It didn't matter to Him what the cost was because the result was people were going to be saved. And I don't care what it costs to get her her own EpiPen and a slew of them. If that's what's going to keep me alive and that's what's going to keep her alive, you do it. I said, how much more so, spiritually speaking, for you and for me in Luke the 14th chapter? If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself. And all these things. But there is a thing, he uses an illustration, and we're going to close out with this passage. I know I've gone a, a couple seconds over here, but I want to close out with this passage in Luke 14. He uses an illustration. Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? This week I was originally going to preach on being rebaptized. Some people have been asking me about that, and so I'm going to talk about that at a later time. But I'm telling you, one of the things that we have to do is we've got to say, do I have what it takes to finish. 
Am I willing to pay any price for this salvation? Knowing that I can't save myself, it is only by Jesus. But yet at the same time, do I even care enough? Is it an EpiPen to me? That if I knew it was going to save me, would I give my house? Would I give my family? Would I give my friends? Would I give my hobbies? Would I be willing to give that up? And I'm telling you, too many times in my life, I'm not. And I imagine that's most of us. But the truth is, we all get another shot. We're all right here today. And we all each have the chance to do whatever it takes so that we will be received and be found worthy and pleasing to God. That's it. That's what's going on in my head. Maybe this morning you're ready. You're tired of it. You're tired of living for yourself. You're tired of living for all these things and you're ready to come to Christ. You're ready to repent. You're ready to be baptized. And you say, man, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Won't you come? Or if you need the prayers, won't you come now? Those are standing. As we sing.